But the truth of the matter is, the Lord Jesus spoke the Word of God everywhere He went. And you and I ought to become so familiar with God's book that we can do essentially the same thing. We ought to have Bible verses on little cards and memorize them, meditate on them. Hey, that sounds like Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Your Bible to Joshua chapter 1, if you would. Today I would like to pick back up on a series of messages that I began, believe it or not, the last Sunday of July. Yeah, it seems a long time ago. These sermons are all about how by making three sacred vows, any Christian can experience a transformed life. And I liken the transformation to that, say, of a caterpillar to a butterfly. And you're all familiar with how that sort of kind of thing happens. The caterpillar goes into the cocoon and sometime later it's totally changed. It's transformed into a butterfly. Imagine having a brand new life. Imagine that. Imagine growing wings, spiritual wings. Imagine being something greater, far greater than what you are now. And this is accomplished by paying, as it were, the cost of these three sacred vows. Now, what is a vow? A vow is a solemn promise to God. That's what a vow is, a solemn promise to God. And so we're talking about making three solemn promises to God. That's what we're talking about. Again, I'd like to say that most Christians seem to realize that the cost of getting into God's family is fully underwritten by God himself. A lot of people in the world are under the impression that they have to do their good works added to perhaps what God did, and then they can maybe get into heaven. It's not that way at all. We can never do enough good works, and by the way, the Bible tells us all our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing we can do that would merit uh, saving grace from God. Uh, we are just out of it. We, we cannot do it. We're dead in sin and trespasses. But I, I think that most born-again Christians realize that, uh, in hindsight, they realize that Jesus paid it all. They understand that the cost has been fully underwritten by God in order for any man or woman to become born again into God's family. Just because someone attends a church doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Just because they pray or read the Bible does not mean they're going to heaven. Because Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Imagine that. And yet that will be the sad news spoken to many. People who think that their good works will get them to heaven, they're in for a big surprise. Truth is, we're all sinners by birth and by choice. And the justice of God demands that sin be punished. And either we can punish it, Or God himself came to earth. His name was Jesus. And he took the, the brunt. He took the punishment of God for our sins upon himself. When he hung on the cross for you and me. He died, was buried, and rose again. And now the offer is made to whosoever will may be saved. 
we get saved, our part in salvation is to repent of our sin and to receive the person of Jesus Christ. God put eternal life into Jesus. Whosoever hath the Son hath life. Whosoever hath not the Son of God hath not life. You either have Jesus or you do not have him. If you're here today or perhaps you're watching online and you're wondering, well, do I have Jesus? Is, is it possible that it, maybe he's not in my heart? Do I have him? Do I not have him? You know, you can settle that in your heart. You can settle that for sure today. You can do that. So, most believers, most Christians realize that Jesus paid it all when it comes to sonship, becoming part of God's family. But not all Christians realize that the cost of a transformed life, that means to be changed into his image, and that's a good change, by the way. That's a happy change that we really want for everyone. But the cost of a transformed life lies mainly with us. Now the onus or the burden is upon us who are born again, who are saved. It's within our reach to have transformed lives. How? I'm suggesting by making three sacred vows to God. Last Sunday, I began sharing with you the first of these three powerful vows. The first vow was called the sacred vow of service. That's the key word is service. Would you say that word out loud with me, please? Service. And what it means is that we become God's servant. We look upon ourselves as the servant of the Lord on earth. We bow to the ownership of Jesus Christ. We yield to his lordship and we begin to serve him more than we serve ourselves. We are very much products of this world. Babies, when they're first introduced to the world, all they know, all they can think about is themselves. That's all they know. And so all of their thoughts are about themselves. And it takes time and teaching for them to realize one day that, hey, there's other people in the world beside me. All that comes, hopefully, through the teaching, the love and training, through the home, hopefully. We get into God's family, we still have some of the baggage of the world. We're still thinking, me, me, me. And so, to get to the transformed life, we have to make this conscious decision where we make a sacred vow to God. Father, I've, I've lived for myself too much. I want to start living for you now. I want to start becoming your servant. I want to start to learn how to serve you more than I'm serving myself. And after all, that's just the job of a servant. When the servant comes, punches in, he's on the clock for those eight hours or ten or whatever it is he's serving, his job is to serve the needs of, of his boss. Likewise, we need to look upon ourselves as the servant and Jesus as the master. Lord, you've done so much for me, now what can I do for you? How can I live my life for you? That's the first sacred vow. Now, if you missed that message... You can always go on our website and you can go and watch it anytime you like. So that's the first of the three sacred vows. Now today is the second of the three sacred vows and it's the word scriptures. Scriptures. Would you say that word with me please? Scriptures. The first word is what? Service. The second word is what? Scriptures. When we talk about the scriptures, we're talking about the Bible. The 66 books of the Bible. This blessed old book right here. 
You see, what we're talking about is the presence of God in print. The scriptures are far more than just a book. So many people have no time of day whatsoever for the Bible. Well, that's their decision. But I want to share with you how this book, the Bible, will have amazing effects on your life and my life. How that God, through this book, can transform our lives. And it doesn't take 50 years to do it either. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into this second sacred vow. Bow your head with me, would you, in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you once again, and we ask that you would teach us now this second sacred vow. Tell us what it's all about, Lord. Help us to apply it to our hearts. Lord, we pray that if there's someone here today who is not yet born again, you would open the eyes of their understanding and help them to see that they need Jesus. If there's someone watching online today who has never repented of his or her sin and trusted in Jesus Christ only to take them to heaven, encourage them, Father, that today is the day of salvation. When the message is all over, the sermon is done. Please have the Holy Spirit move in our hearts to make a sacred vow of Scripture. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, let me begin by saying that God has absolutely given to every single one of us many wonderful gifts. You are a recipient of the grace and mercy and gifts of God. In fact, every day he loads you up with benefits. And there are people, many people in the world, who don't have half of the benefits you have. Those of you here in the auditorium today and those watching online, you are blessed so much. But even if you happen to live in a, a dark part of the world where you don't have the, uh, the benefits that uh, maybe some of us uh, experience, you are still greatly blessed of God. Don't think for a moment that people who are underprivileged are void of the blessings of God. They're not. God's blessings are manifold and oftentimes universal around the world. You know, the very gift of life and breath and health to whatever measure, the gift of family and friends and food, clothes on our back, these things are things that Satan wants to take from us. The old devil wants us to curse God and die. But we have been given so many wonderful, wonderful things. And in this country, that's actually maybe one of our downfalls, is we have too much. And so our attention gets focused on these things. But as far as gifts from God goes, I believe the greatest gift ever, ever is the gift of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine God giving himself to us, dying on the cross, paying what we owe in hell? He did it freely out of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means to die and go to hell. But shall have everlasting life. That means to be with God forever and ever. That's a good deal. That's the greatest gift ever, ever is the Lord Jesus. Isn't it amazing how many people reject that gift? Isn't it amazing how many people say, no, I'm going to try it on my own. I'm the captain of my own destiny, thank you. 
And if I get to heaven, it'll be because, you know, I've done something right. Well, that's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. Aside from the gift of the Lord Jesus, I think the second greatest gift that God has ever, ever given us is that book right there, the Bible. I believe that that is the second greatest gift with, without apology, the Bible is God's second greatest gift to us, the written word of God. The Bible is our shield against evil. It's our sword against Satan. It is the rock upon which we stand. It is the will of God in print. It is the mind of God. It is the mouth of God. It is the wisdom of God. It is the source of truth and instruction. The Bible is the key that unlocks the precious promises of power from God in our lives. Someone took the words, oh, the word Bible, took the letters B-I-B-L-E and made an acronym of it. Maybe you've heard this acronym B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E. How many have heard that before? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. Oh, that's a good number of us. And that's a, a real nice way to think of the Bible. But, folks, I think the Bible is a whole lot more than basic instructions. I've been studying the Blessed Book for 46 years plus. It's coming up on 47. And I believe with all my heart that it's way, way, way more than just basic instructions. Say, so why do I... Think this. Why do I say this? Because the Bible is like no other book in the entire world. The Bible is alive. You mean, oh, you mean uh, metaphorically, that's how you're speaking. No, I mean the Bible is alive. There is spiritual life in the pages of this book like no other book in the entire world. The Bible is alive. It's alive because it's the living book, the living word of God. God is alive and God wrote the book and God is in the book. The Bible is alive. It's alive because God is in the book. The Holy Spirit gives life to the words on the pages of the Bible. And that is why the Bible speaks to people's hearts. That is absolutely true. Every other book in the world, every other book is a dead document. D-E-A-D, -E a, a dead document of words, written words on paper. But the Bible is alive and it actually, actually really changes lives. The Bible, reading the Bible has been known to give victory to the alcoholic. Reading the Bible has been known to sober up the alcoholic. But I'll tell you what, reading any or all of Shakespeare's 150 poems and I think 30, 38 plays. Reading any and all of Shakespeare's literature has never sobered up an alcoholic. It's never given the alcoholic victory over his alcohol. But the Bible has. Reading the Bible has been known to reunite families back together. Fragmented families have been brought back together because of the Bible. But I'll tell you something, all of the books written about Sherlock Holmes have never reunited fragmented families back together. The Bible 
has been known to give hope. Reading the Bible has oftentimes given hope to soldiers out on the battlefield facing life and death. And the scriptures have been an incredible source of hope in the face of death. And I'll tell you something. All of the Harry Potter books in the world have never given hope to anyone who's about to die. You see what I'm saying? There's no other book like that book. This is a living book. All the other books on your shelf at home are dead documents, written words on paper. It's all they are. But there's something about this book. That book's alive. You, you talk to it, it's like it talks back to you. You squeeze it, it almost oozes blood. You press it to your heart. And it whispers, God loves you. There's no other book like the Word of God, the Bible. Praise the Lord for that. You know, many people have come under conviction of sin and truth when they started reading the Bible. Folks, that's how I got saved. I started reading the Bible. Many people, though, have come under the same conviction of sin and truth. There's a story about a missionary who was trying to reach a tribe with the gospel. He first had to sit down with the chief. And so after some cordial introductions and so on, he explained why he was there. And he gave a copy of the Bible to the chief. And he said, chief, take this and read it. The next day or the day after, the chief came to see the missionary and gave him back his Bible, and he said, here, you can have it. The missionary said, what's wrong? And the chief said, that book kicks. It's true. It does. Why? Because the Bible is alive. That's why. <laughs> the Bible is absolutely vital. If you and I are going to experience a transformed life, we have to have this book. And we must read it every day. You and I must begin to see and realize just how important that book really, really, really is. We're making no joke about it. We're dead serious when we say this is the living word of God. It will change your life. Job, in the Old Testament, in Job chapter 23 he said that he esteemed the words of God more necessary than his daily food. How necessary do you esteem the word of God in your life? I've heard it said before, but there are many Christians who have a motto. No Bible, no breakfast. How about that one? No Bible, no breakfast. Now, for some people who never eat breakfast, they might think, well, I can live with that. Well, all right, then move it up to lunch. But do you get the idea? A Christian who will put that kind of priority on this book impresses God. God went to a lot of time, trouble, and effort to give us this book. 1,400 years it took him to write this. All the other religious books in the world, they're written basically by one person. One guy here, one guy over there. They wrote the whole thing. 
the Bible was written by some 40 different authors who basically never even met each other over a period of 1,400 years. And the harmony of the Bible is so incredible, it had to have only one author. Its author is God. Aren't you glad? This is an amazing book, folks. King David expressed his longing, his desire, his hunger, his thirst for God's word in Psalm 119. All you got to do is read it. And you'll come off knowing, wow, he really loved the word of God. Listen, Jesus came to us from the Father's bosom. And he said to us these words, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's how important the Bible is. And we need to start learning this again. We need to start realizing again, we can't do it without the Bible. We must have God's word every day. Every day if we're going to have transformed lives. Because I can pretty much guarantee you, if you are living without the Bible, and I'm talking more than a verse a day, folks, if you're living without the Bible, you're shriveling. You know these pictures we see of people that, that are malnourished and really are on death's doors. They've, they've lived with starvation a long time. We've seen pictures of people like that in the world. Spiritually, that's you. If you don't have God's word, it's milk, it's meat, it's everything we need. And we have to have it if we're going to experience a transformed life. There's no other way. We have to have it, folks. The Bible is absolutely vital. Listen, to be educated in laziness is nothing. To be educated in sin is loathing. To be educated in life is something. But to be educated in the word of Almighty God is everything. It's not just something. It's everything, folks. Absolutely everything. And that's why I suggest to you not only to read the Bible, study the Bible daily, but I encourage you, take the words of 2 Timothy 2.15 to your heart. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You're not going to learn the Bible by putting the book under your pillow and sleeping on it. You're going to learn it as you get alone with God and study it. And here's another tip. If you're really serious about knowing God, knowing God's word, take advantage. Enroll in a course, either here or online, in our Bible college. God has given us a wonderful little Bible college. It has all of the bells and whistles, a full Bible college God has given us. Eight years now, we're going into our ninth year in just a couple weeks. God is very serious when he tells all believers, does it include men? Of course it does. Does it include women? Absolutely. What about young people? Without a doubt. What about seniors? Oh, you want to believe it. Anyone who names the name of Christ, study to show thyself approved unto God. You show me where in the Bible God says you arrive at a place and that's it. You're done. You can stay there. You show me that. 
I think I've mentioned to you that fish out in the wild, in the lakes and in the oceans, fish never stop growing until the day they die. And the same ought to be true for you and me. If we're going to have transformed lives, we need to be the servants of the Lord. And in order to be the servants of the Lord, we're going to need the scriptures of the Lord. We have to have them. You can't separate these two. You cannot. In fact, you are not a servant of the Lord if you're not glued to the Bible somehow. You cannot be his servant if you don't have his instruction book. It's an impossibility, folks. And if we're going to want and achieve transformed lives, we're going to have to do it God's way. Now, your Bible's open at Joshua chapter 1. And in verse 8, I want you to see that God told this, this military leader that the Bible was absolutely vital to his success. Look at it again. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's something we all are interested in. We all want to be prosperous. We all want to be successful. Well, how will that happen? God connects it together with his word. That's why I say, if you're not glued, connected with God's word, there's no way you can be God's servant and there's no way you can prosper spiritually. You might be able to prosper in worldly things, but I'm telling you, that's a house of cards that's going to fall apart on you one day. Oh, what if I win the lotto? Then I pity you. I just read this past week about a couple uh, down in the States. They'd won $2 million on a lotto. They weren't, living, they weren't married, so they got married. She had a couple of kids. Uh, they married, man, they had it made, $2 million. Well, they started fighting about the money. And they fought and they fought. And I saw in the news that he took a gun, he killed her, killed at least one of her kids, and then killed himself. They would have been better off without that lotto money. Don't ever think that winning the lotto is going to make everything right for you. It's going to open a new horrendous door of sin and temptation. You will become the object, the target of so many scams and crooks. People murder each other for the money. So don't, don't waste your time and don't waste the, the money God's entrusted you with. Don't blow it on the lottos. Get rid of it. If you've got a ticket sitting in your wallet, in your purse, or at home on the dresser or something, burn it. But pastor, what if it's the winning ticket? That's exactly what I'm saying. You don't want it. Trust your heavenly father. He's loaded. He's rich. He's promised never to leave you nor forsake you. Put your trust in God. It's so important. Joshua's trust was to be in God through the word of God. That's why we need the word of God, folks. So this brings us anyhow to our second sacred vow, the scriptures. Say that word again with me, please. Scriptures. The first word is what? Service. The second word is what? Scriptures. Now, what we're not talking about, and again, we want to put the brakes on, please. We are not talking about reading a verse for the day. We're not talking about that. We're not even talking about reading two verses of the Bible every day. We're not talking about that at all. What we are talking about is making this book a central part of your whole life. 
Your whole life needs to revolve around God's word. You need to look upon God's word as the be-all and end-all. This book, and if it weren't for this book, you would not know the way of eternal life. If it were not for this book, you would not know what pleases God. You would not know right from wrong, up from down, if it were not for this book. This book needs to be to you the mouthpiece of God talking to your heart. And if you're saved, you have a built-in Bible teacher. It's called the Holy Spirit. You and the Holy Spirit and the Bible, basically that's all you need. You got it, folks. If you're born again, if you're here or watching online and you're not yet born again into God's family, you are outside of these blessings and you need to repent of sin and receive Jesus Christ as Savior in order to be part of the blessings of God. So we're talking about making the Bible a central part. Now the key, the key is increase. That's the key word is increase, increase. If you've been one of those one verse a day kind of people, and there are people like that. They take the Bible and say, okay, Lord, what have you got for me today? And they open up their, their Bible. Oh, that's the map section with all the maps in it. All right, we'll try it again. All right, Lord, what have you got here for me today? And they open up to a verse, and it says, two at par bar, four at the... What does that mean? Oh, well, that's God's word for me today. Or they'll say, oh, I'll try it again. You know, it's almost like rolling dice, isn't it? It's almost like some kind of roulette wheel. God wants you and I to take the book and start to study it. Say, where do I begin? Why don't you start in the book of Psalms? How about that? Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Start with that. When you finish Psalm 1, go to Psalm 2. When you finish Psalm 2, do you know what's next? You got it, right? It's not that hard, is it? You could start at Genesis 1-1. You could do that too. The, the point is that you start. You get in there and start increasing the amount of time you spend reading, studying, loving the Word of God each and every day. The key is to increase, increase, increase. Increase 1%, increase it another 1%. Now you've increased it 2%. Next day you increase it another percent. That's the idea. Over a period of time you're consuming a lot of the Word of God and you'll find the more of the Word of God that gets in you, the more you're going to change. That is absolutely the truth of the matter. You know what? I suggest to you that you become a holy addict. Become an addict for the Word of God. Become addicted to the Word of God. You know there are some people that are addicted to sports. What do we call them? Yeah, the short form of fanatic is fan, right? Sports fans, right? They're fanatics. That's the shortened form of, of, uh, of, of fanatic is fan. Some people are addicted to, to sports. I'm not going to ask anyone here to raise their hand, but do you know of someone who all they think about is the game last night or the game coming up tomorrow or who won the, this series or who, who scored that goal? And they can tell you, man, they've, they've got all of these facts and figures and names and so on in their head. They can just rattle this stuff off because they're addicted to it. Some people are not addicted to sports. Some people are addicted to sugary drinks. Hmm? They've got lots of bang and zip. By the way, some people addicted to sports are also addicted to sugary drinks. Oof. What a thing to be addicted to. I suggest that we become addicted to that book right there. Become an addict. A Bible addict. And make no apology for it. 
You know, Jesus was a Bible addict. You say, well, that doesn't sound right. Maybe it doesn't. But the truth of the matter is, the Lord Jesus spoke the word of God everywhere he went. And you and I ought to become so familiar with God's book that we can do essentially the same thing. We ought to have Bible verses on little cards and memorize them, meditate on them. Hey, that sounds like Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God ties the transformed life to the word of God. That's why it's so important that we understand this sacred vow, this second sacred vow here. You say, well, what, what will we learn in the Bible? Or why, why do we need to study it so much? You need to study the Bible for three things. You can write these down or you can remember them. It's not that hard. Number one, as you read and study, pour over the Bible, you need to be looking for God. Get to know God better through his book. Through his book. I think I told you the story of a young lady who bought uh, what was called a bestseller. And she took it home and started reading it. And she thought, that's the dumbest book I think I've ever read. And she threw it in a drawer. And about six months later, she's at a social gathering. And she meets a handsome young guy and gets to know him. And what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an author. Oh, really? What books have you written? And he says the name of the book that she bought and threw in the drawer. She said, you wrote that book? He said, I sure did. Wow. Well, she went home that night and she found that book and started to read that book. And now that book had new meaning to her because she met the author. And when you meet the author of the book, the Bible takes on new meaning. That's why so many people today say, ah, it's a dull, boring, dusty book. It was good for grandma, but it's, these are modern times. You need to meet the author. When you meet the author, that book is going to come alive. And you will get to know God as you go through the Bible and read. Start in the book of Psalms. It's only a suggestion, but it's a good place to start. Look to find God. Number two, look to find God's will for your life. What does God want me to do? God, what do you want me to do with my life? Look for God's will for your life. How God wants you to live and behave and the decisions you make. And number three, and this one is really important, really key, and that is get to know the promises that he makes in the Bible so that you can pray them back to God and see things happen. That's what's going to energize your prayer life is when you learn the promises of God because God makes promises. Uh, one man, Lockyer, his name is uh, Lockyer, he wrote a book, All the Promises in the Bible, and he claims there are 8,000 promises of God in that book. Perhaps not all of them apply to you and I, but a lot of them will. And what you and I need to do is find the promises that apply to us. Say, how will I know? The Holy Spirit will show you as you work your way through the Bible. Claim those promises of God. Stanley Tam is now in heaven, but he was just a nobody. As a young man, he decided he wanted to live his life for God. And he claimed a promise in Deuteronomy that says, It's God that giveth thee power to get wealth. He claimed that for himself. And he went on to start five companies that were producing tens of millions of dollars. And he was giving millions of dollars every year to missionaries. 
He wanted to be God's servant on earth. He wrote a book called God Owns My Business by Stanley Tam. It's a great book, wonderful book to read. I recommend you read it. We need to know God's words so that we can know the promises. And we use faith. This is where faith comes in. The just shall live by faith. Now our first vow of service is done by faith. Our second vow of scripture is also done by faith. If we're going to experience transformed lives, we must put our faith in God's word. Do not put your faith in mankind. Do not put your faith in men. Men will let you down. Even the best of men can let you down. Put your faith in God's promises. They will never, ever let you down. In this second sacred vow, faith means we're trusting God to work through his promise. David Livingston was one of the more famous missionaries. He took the gospel to Africa back in the early 1800s when the continent was still considered the dark continent. And he took the gospel of Jesus Christ there. And Over his lifetime, he won tens of thousands of souls to Christ and started innumerable numbers of churches. And the world thought he was the greatest hero. Come near the end of his life, he asked them, Mr. Livingston, with all the diseases and and attacks and everything you've been through, and yet you didn't quit, you kept on going, and you've done so much, how did you do it? And he said his secret was a promise that Jesus made him. They said, what promise is that? And he said, it was in Matthew 28, 20, where Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And, and he, he, he stood upon that, and God never failed him. Finding the great promises of God and learning how to pray them is one of the great secrets of the prayer warriors. You see, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4 says, Where the word of a king is, there's power. That's why when you pray, you need to pray the word of a king and pray back to God. God, you made a promise. Here's the promise you made. Father, I'm standing on that promise. I am taking you at your word. That's what faith does. Faith in the word of God. It comes by making a sacred vow. That I am going to make that a central part of my life. Is that me making those noises? Someone here is making those noises. It's probably me. The great prayer warriors who got great things out of God. This is exactly how they did it. They committed themselves to the scriptures. And God is wanting, actually wanting you and I to take him at his word. Stand on his word and ask and keep asking until he says, okay, I'll give it to you. But we need to know what promise. I encourage you today to enter into a sacred vow with God. I'm just about done here. I want you to resolve in your heart that you will deepen your faith in God's word concerning his instructions for your life, concerning his prayer promises, we absolutely have to have this vow of scripture. Otherwise, folks, what we do is we become servants who don't know the master's will. That was the big problem in Israel before they had a king. It said in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And I'm telling you right now, God tells us we're going to fumble it. In Isaiah chapter 55, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. That's very true. His ways are not even our ways. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts. That's why we need to know what God says on a matter. There are so many crazy things happening amongst Christians and churches today. 
We have people claiming to be able to peel the paint off walls in the name of Jesus and walk across the ceiling and do some real weird things that are not found in God's word. And unless you and I know the word of God, we're going to be fooled. We're going to watch some of these things on TV and say, wow, it must be of God. Well, not necessarily. You look at some of the cults and some of the great organizations and they're doing wowy things and they're not of God. Anyhow, I don't want to get misled here, but we must make a sacred vow in order to know what God has for us. And so today I encourage you to do that. Make a sacred vow. It's not going to happen on its own. You need to make the vow. You need to take the step. It's like salvation. If you think about it and hope one day, it's never going to happen. You need to come to Jesus today, repent of sin, and trust him as your savior. And it's the same principle with the vow. You need to come to God today and say, God, I want to make a sacred vow, the vow of scripture. I want to find out more about you. I want to find out your will for my life. But I want to find out what you've promised so that I can learn to pray these back to you. If I'm going to be your servant, Lord, I need to know what you have to say. If we want to have transformed lives, we have to have this vow of Scripture. I want to encourage you today to make a vow and become a holy addict on the Word of God. Now, in a minute, we're going to stand for a word of prayer. We'll stand, we'll have a word of prayer in just a moment. And after we pray, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar here. We call this the altar. I'm going to invite you to come, take a step of faith to come. I want you to come with others and make a decision. Make a decision in favor of the word of God. And here at the altar, I want you to come and together we're going to pray. We did this last week and I'll kind of lead you in a prayer and you kind of follow along with me and make it your own in your heart. And I believe that if we will do what God says in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. If we will do that, God will give us the good success he wants us to have. So with that, I'd like to invite you to stand here. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.